Welcome to the J.P. Morgan Weekender. I'm Bruce Kasman, and with me this weekender is Joe Lupton. Hey, Joe. <laughs> hey, Bruce. Fun with words. <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah. So we got fun with data. Uh, let me frame the conversation by saying that um, this week we got uh, the first taste of September activity. Uh, we got our all-industry PMI, and we got the September U.S. employment report. And I'm feeling okay about the world. Uh, how do you feel? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, it, it definitely, I guess the, the data, the week of data was constructive, right? I mean, we had the, the PMIs, which um, I guess I, I was a little more worried about the loss of momentum in those, but I think you've convinced me that, hey, we should expect some loss of momentum given our outlook and more importantly, that the level of the PMIs are still consistent with, you know, solid kind of trend-like growth, which after all is our forecast. And then moreover, if you look at the manufacturing part of that, um, you've got U.S. and Asia, which look to be doing a little bit better in the manufacturing part, which is good. If if there's a concern, it's Europe, and that continues to be a concern. And by the way, we got more soft data out of Europe. I think French IP yeah. was weak. And To be but, fair, Joe, I think if we had this conversation two days ago, um, the other yeah. piece of the PM, the other piece of the PMI that would be sort of sitting there is the U.S. services part. Yeah, we've gotten since uh, since we came in Wednesday morning, we got uh, ISM services, right. which was strong. We got claims, that. which was which was solid. And of course, we got today, yes. which so. So I think the, in some ways, the reading of the PMI discounts that particular question mark. Uh, and then when when you do that, the balance looks a little better there. I think you still would have said it's not like the U.S. has ever really been a big concern of mine, right? So seeing the the payroll report is is good. Yeah, it could have fallen out of bed, but um, I I wasn't coming into the payroll report saying, my God, things are falling apart here. I hope it bails me out. Um, the the concern is is really Europe, and that still is the concern, and the the lack of concern is the U.S., and that still is the lack of concern. If anything, so before we I go, think the bigger issue is this too much of a good thing. Before we go all wonky on the U.S. payroll report, um, dude, this you know one of the things that's kind of been more in my mind this week is I was I've been thinking about European weakness. Um, I kind of had this this mindset that okay, the European weakness was about business sector caution, and the more that kind of see data coming in and think about what we're getting here. I'm starting to turn to the idea that the European problem is more about the consumer that has had, you know, every reason to draw down its savings. It's had this big excess savings. It's got wealth increases. It's more recently gotten, um, you know, a switch towards more positive real income numbers as a result of inflation coming down. And this week we got a, a report on second quarter saving rates that are up again now are really basically flat since the start of Russia invasion. And, you know, so the European consumer has not done what the U.S. consumer, even the, J the Jap Japanese consumer, which we're, we're seeing uh, real wage gains, real wage losses, but we're seeing consumption rise. There's just something you, not you, right. You know about you're here. in trouble when the Japanese consumer is out, out spending you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, saving rate in, in Europe is still higher than it was before the pandemic, uh, which means their excess savings, the way at least we measure it, is actually still increasing. Um, it's hard to imagine like what 
that kind of accumulated wealth is doing. I know some on our team points out that in real terms, it's not as strong. That's true. You can make the same argument about the U.S. as well, however. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's a real malaise on the consumer. And, and you're right to point out, I think our views have shifted a little bit because what you're alluding to is the fact that in contrast to the European consumer, the, the European business CapEx part, the equipment spending part, it's actually been doing pretty darn well. I think the construction part is a bit, a, a lot lower, and that contrasts like vastly with the U.S. business manufacturing investment that you've seen due to some of these industrial policies that have been put in place. But boy, Europe is is struggling on that front. Um, but 100% right. Not only is is capex doing well in among European businesses, equipment spending, but also hiring, of course, keeps uh, you know doing it's relatively well. So um, yeah, I think the consumer side of things is where the malaise is is centered. Yeah. So let's put that on the table and just leave it there, and then let's get into to the U.S. stuff. Um, uh, you know, I think the interesting part of the report today is obviously first and foremost the strength and breadth of hiring but it is also quite interesting how we're not seeing that translate into any real labor pressure in terms of what the you know the wage numbers are showing us and the uh the tightness in the labor market so that's a mixed bag when you think about it from a point of view of the fed it is so and you can you can kind of you know, say, oh, well, the household survey hiring wasn't as strong as the establishment. I actually think there's some, and, and that gets into the wonky data measurement issues, but there is some constructive real things happening there, which is the labor force continues to grow. Uh, yeah. And I think that's a, that's an important positive. And we've seen, really, we, we talked a lot about- um, Let me just put a number out there. The last three months we're running 325 on labor force growth per month. This year- Population adjusted, we're running 232. Those are both super strong yeah. numbers relative to anybody's estimates of underlying trend. And that's yeah. why the U rates U rate is actually up, even though we've had pretty solid job growth. Mm -hmm. And and we've we've talked really since the beginning of the year that you know an important way, an important path to to Goldilocks or important path to a soft landing uh, would be some sense of a supply side revival. Uh, and in the U.S., we've been getting it the, a double-barreled version of that. Uh, you know, labor force coming in, I think, is one way to take pressure off wages and maybe help the corporate sector and keep prices lower. And that's one way you can do this. The the real what I call Goldilocks squared is is productivity also has been uh, picking up, um, and that has been something that's just a win-win for everyone. So the U.S. is getting both of those, uh, and I I think. While the overall message from this week is probably, as I said, too much of a good thing and keeps some pressure on the Fed, I think the supply side messages coming from this report and the steady stream of positive supply side messages in recent kind of months is, is one that keeps Goldilocks on the table. For sure. And we'll obviously take another step in tracking that next week when we get the, the CPI for September. But uh, uh, certainly you keep hope alive here. Uh, the other side of the story, of course, is the strength of the economy. And I think the Fed's going to have to weigh those two things as it sits down um, in November. It does feel like we're tracking three and a half, four on the uh, third quarter. Uh, there's obviously every reason to look for a downshift in growth into the fourth quarter. You've got strikes. You've got um, 
uh, the rise in energy prices, which will at least take something out of the consumer a little bit here, even though energy prices have come you, off. We of, should mention the fact on energy, right? That actually it's it's back down, right? I mean, yeah. uh, uh, that's less of it. And and to be honest, the, the, the creeping issue around that we didn't address a lot, we noted it, but is that uh, retail prices never really moved up like oil prices did. So, um, you know, I, I think that the basic, uh, dare I say, that all of this so far has felt a bit of a tempest in a teapot in terms of, you know, that oil price run. And now things could change on that. But, um, you know, right now, I think that was a risk of, uh, that lasted for a couple of weeks. And now it's kind of on the back burner. So let's think about the Fed here. Mike, Frolli is going to wait till he sees the CPI before think what thinking yeah. about whether at all he, he uh, wants to consider changing the call that the Fed's going to be on hold at least through the end of the year. Um, what's your take on that? I, I think it, it it makes sense, right? I mean, my my initial reaction was that this has to raise the odds a little bit uh, of them going uh, either in November or December, uh, and you know, I, but at the same time, the, the thing that we haven't talked about yet, but is, is lingering out there is that, you know, borrowing costs have moved up a lot. The long end has moved up a lot. And maybe some of that is doing the work for them. So while in a vacuum, this report would have certainly added some some risk that they move. Uh, and I would add to this, by the way, a lot of the maybe from the more hawkish side of the FOMC, but there's been some language out that suggests they feel like they need to do more. You put all that in the mix, and I would say you're leaning in that direction. However, the big move in the long end and what that's doing to mortgage rates, and, and the Fed is not oblivious to that, there's a there's a feedback effect on that. They may not have to do as much, and therefore, uh, you know, I guess waiting to see the inflation report certainly makes sense in my mind. Well, I, I, I think there's an interesting trade-off here. One, as you say, you're getting your work done for you by having uh, long-term rates go up. I think the the repricing since mid-year now on the Fed for the end of 24 has accumulated to something like 85 or 90 basis points. That's a huge swing in terms of how the market sees the Fed. It's obviously moving in the direction of this high for long story. And I think, you know, if you got that, and obviously you've got some risk that the very sharp movement over a short period of time of yields could, you know, create a situation of stress as we get certainly have uh, somewhere in this system Un, un, unrealized uh, losses on um, all those portfolios that could come back here and bite us. Uh, but I, I do think there's another thing which I've been thinking about in the last couple of weeks, which is a bit of an offset to that, which is, you know, I'm, the, the Fed put together this model index where it kind of looks at how financial conditions are affecting growth from a 12 month ahead point of view. And what's striking there is their, um, their index, look, which is based on one-year lag worth of financial conditions, was basically running at a drag of about 1.5% on GDP growth at the start of the year. And in the last two, three months, we only have their data through August. It's gone to zero. So the, you know, the swing we're seeing now is clearly uh, you know, saying, hey, you're getting uh, another leg of financial tightening in here. But what's been accumulating over the last three or six months is a removal of some of that uh, tightening as markets have been behaving well, as uh, uh, you know, spreads have been narrowing, um, and uh, you know, there's a balance here between getting that restrictive uh, push from the rise in yields recently against the backdrop of what, what has been a removal of 
drags for the better part of three or six months before then. Yeah, I mean, boy, I mean, with the amount that mortgage rates have moved up. Uh, yeah, I'm not bad. I'm not saying they're equivalent, but I'm just saying there is a offset to that that they're probably having to think through here. Um, yeah, um, I mean, that I, I think the other thing that adds to the mix here is I, I'm getting we had a conversation last week where you were pushing a, a pretty uh, inflation, strong inflationary view as these transitory forces fall out. Um, and yeah. and I think that's that's right. I think you and I dug into this a little bit more on a couple of these other special categories. And um, it seemed a little bit more possible that you could get these other components coming off. And if we're at the end of the year here and core inflation does dip below 3%, on, on a sequential basis. Uh, well, it is already. It's been running too far. No, no, I'm yeah. sorry. You're right. It's Stay sustainably. Below. Stay that below. It sustains below 3%. Right. Um, th that really is going to change the narrative back to this kind of Goldilocks script. And I'm not saying they're there yet. We keep kind of bouncing back and forth. Really, all year, it's been bouncing back and forth. And, you know, through the summer months, the Goldilocks bid was there. And now we're getting... I think a bit more of the, the kind of boiling the frog uh, bit as we're seeing that inflation is going to bounce back to some extent. We're seeing the strength and some of the, the resilience in the too much of a yeah. good thing in the U.S. And that's getting the Fed to kind of really emphasize high for long. But that could shift if you actually you get this uh, this dip in inflation being sustained a bit more combined with what I think has been some some of the heavy lifting being done on borrowing yeah. costs that have moved back up. And that would put the Fed more on hold. And then, you know, maybe well, yeah, real, talk about realistically, cuts. if the economy is generating mid twos inflation on a sustained basis, as we turn into 24, I, I'd say that puts you on track for the Fed to cut sometime in the first half of next year. Um, yep. I mean, obviously, if, if obviously the unemployment rate is going to 3% uh, or other things are showing up in the, right. um, in the uh, inflation space on wages or other things, but yeah, you know, I think I think the Fed, in my mind, the high for long is if inflation is kind of getting stuck around three, and the economy's holding up, that's a Fed that's on hold for a long time, and that's kind of what's embedded in the boil of the frog type type narrative. Yeah. and you're right. The last thing I would say is any of us, um, as economists, should be confident that we can parse out the 12-month-ahead inflation forecast within 50 or 75 basis yeah, points. Yeah. It's just a lot we don't know about the inflation process, which we've been hit over the head with in the last uh, two or three years. So um, Yeah, I mean, I think that, I mean, you could say, like, just summarizing, like, the week, I, I would say the, you know, the news, if, it, if we do have conviction, it's conviction that we're not falling into a near-term recession here. Uh, and, and anyone who is still holding out, kind of a view that there was going to be recession should have completely wiped that away. And, and we had conviction about that for some time once we got into the second quarter and saw the resilience. And so that just seemed unlikely. So that I think we feel strongly about. But yeah, between this bullying the frog and Goldilocks, I mean, you and I keep going back and forth on this. And well, we've been 60, 40 on equivalents. that. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's not a, it's not a, we're not pounding table the same way we were pounding the table six or nine months ago on recession dynamics. Yeah. But um, I guess we'll see. I mean, there's uh, is there anything we're missing here that we need to to raise? Uh, Jahangir has been telling me he's feeling okay about EM not having much pressure here, although there is definitely 
caution that's coming into the the picture yeah, in terms I mean, of look, the pressure I think the on dollar's been moving up. You're seeing some capital uh, outflows starting to starting to pick up, um, and you're shifting the needle a little bit on on uh, the the kind of the pace of hikes or cuts that you're seeing in some of those banks that were cutting. You're maybe the shifting out a little bit some of the the start of easing cycles in the EM, but 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 from an EM perspective, these are like small potatoes, yeah. right? I mean, this is not much, not really seeing a ton of pressure. And that's yeah. an important so, point, right? Because when we talk about spillovers, they work through these financial channels. And the fact that we're not seeing those pressures build through the EM does suggest that, um, you know, that whatever drags that are emanating from, say, Europe and China, that they're not they're, they're not very material. That could change this week with the movement in the 10-year, though. Yeah, so I'm going to just end on a, a, a note of caution because from my point of view, the data is fine. And uh, obviously, we kind of go through that back and forth on Boil the Frog versus Goldilocks. The thing that worries me is I really think there's a pretty elevated chance that something's going to come into this picture and start to show some stress. I just feel like this kind of move over a short period of time and yields coming off of already big moves over the last year, something could easily. You mean like a banking sector type stress? Yeah, just some kind financial of financial events. Some kind of financial, and sometimes these financial events scare you, and then don't materialize as a major macro event as it was with SVB, and as we've seen in some cases in the past. But they still scare you, and they still have an influence for at least a while. And I just feel like something probably is going to kick in here and hit us over the next two or three months. So I'm um, I'm getting myself ready for that, but yeah, we'll see. Anyway, on that bright note, I think we should uh, leave it there. And thanks everybody for listening, and hope we can continue next week on the Weekender. Take care.